Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, October 20th, 2022. It's been 3,157 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 239 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's go ahead and get started with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Russian terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue throughout the week and likely beyond. Second, we maintain that the mobilization of up to 300,000 troops will have little impact on the battlefield due to poor morale and discipline and a lack of equipment among Mobics. Third, We maintain that Ukraine still holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain defensive on all axes except Solidar-Bakhmut. Fourth, we maintain that using tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield is highly unlikely, and the chances of the use of nuclear weapons are in decline. Fifth, despite the improvement in the political situation, we maintain we are in the mutually assured destruction-instability paradox— due to previous irresponsible language from the Kremlin. Sixth, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat-destroyed and has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing and accelerating collapse on multiple fronts. And finally, we maintain that the chances of Russian forces invading from Belarus, with the support of Belarusian troops, have increased, but are still pretty low. Now for our regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, continues its media blackout in the Kherson Oblast, and we have not updated our war map for Kherson since October 16th. There weren't any combat or territorial changes that we are permitted to report. Numerous social media outlets reported that Ukraine had restarted the counteroffensive in the early morning hours of October 19th, despite the request for a media blackout. Those reports turned out to be false. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported eight airstrikes and more than 440 fire missions. Some quick assessment here. The large number of artillery and rocket attacks probably caused the misinformation that a large-scale counteroffensive had restarted. Editorially, we would rather be right versus being first. Don't worry. When we can share something, we will put out a flash report on our Patreon. 
OCS reported that two airstrikes targeted Russian positions near Lyubimivka. Two Russian ammunition depots in the Bereslav rayon were destroyed, and video showed the results of an apparent rocket attack by HIMARS in Plotova, south of Novokohovka. Russian forces continued to shell Ochaki from the Kinburn Spit, with shells landing in the beach area, the shipping channel, and the port area. No injuries or significant damage were reported. After announcing an evacuation of civilians earlier this week, then denying it, and then confirming it again, relocation finally began. A video showed the first group of civilians waiting to take a boat across the Dnipro. Russian officials claim they are moving 50 to 60,000 people to the East Bank over the next week. Officials in the occupied territory also announced that civilian access to Kherson would be closed for the next seven days. So, at the time of occupation, the city of Kherson had 230,000 people, raising questions on how many people are being moved and, potentially, where more than 150,000 people went. Officials also reported that all, quote, units and, quote, ministries of the occupation administration are being moved out of Kherson. The pontoon bridge that Russian combat engineers built across the Dnipro in Kherson remains intact. Although completed on October 17th and fully decked with a metal road surface, it remains unused by Russian forces. Available satellite images have shown a significant reduction in military ferry traffic and an increase in the number of Russian vehicles exiting the West Bank. Let's pause for a brief assessment here. If we could, we would have a lot to say. Although, to be perfectly honest, we don't think connecting the dots at this point is too terribly hard. There were reports of a significant release of water by officials operating the Novokohovka Dam. There was, of course, rampant speculation on social media about what may be happening, but there is nothing to indicate unusual activity. At least 15 Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones targeted Mykolaiv, with 14 of them shot down. A video showed one impacting in a darkened area, but at the time of recording it was unclear what the target was or if there was any significant damage. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. There was no change in the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, did not release a statement regarding the shelling of Enerkhodar. Russian occupation forces have kidnapped two more ZNPP employees, Ole Kostyakov, head of IT services, and Ole Osheka, the assistant director general, disappeared on October 18th, according to Enerkhoatam. There are now three senior leaders of ZNPP in Russian custody for unknown reasons. The city council building in Enerkhodar was hit by one rocket, with a second one missing the building and striking the parking lot. Additional strikes knocked out electrical and water service to parts of the city. The Russian Ministry of Defense and mill bloggers blamed Ukrainian forces for using rockets fired by HIMARS. Quick assessment here. With an accuracy of plus or minus five meters and one rocket entirely missing the building, this wasn't HIMARS. 
Ukraine is blaming Russian forces for shelling the town. On the subject of the Russian Ministry of Defense, they made another ridiculous claim of an attempted amphibious assault on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Calling it ridiculous is being kind. Okay, okay. Here is the Russian MOD in their own unedited words. Quote, Today at about 4 a.m., the enemy, they mean Ukraine, with forces of up to two companies, editors note 400 to 500 soldiers, made another attempt to land troops on the left bank of the Kahovka Reservoir and seize the territory of the nuclear power plant. For the landing, 37 boats and boats with military personnel of the armed forces of Ukraine were involved, including 12 heavy and 25 light types. As a result of the active actions of the Russian troops guarding the outer perimeter of the ZNPP, the enemy, again they mean Ukraine, landing force was destroyed. The losses of the armed forces of Ukraine amounted to more than 90 Ukrainian servicemen and 14 boats. The remnants of the landing force were dispersed by artillery fire in the waters of the Kahovka Reservoir. End quote. Amazingly, there are no pictures, videos, NASA fire information for resource management systems or firms, thermal anomalies data, or reports from the IAEA staff monitoring the plant. The report was so absurd, not even Ridovka picked up the claim. Instead, writing about Zaporizhia, quote, No movements are observed, but there is interesting information from the localities that ours, they mean the Russians, are intensively erecting fortifications somewhere in the Orikhiv direction. End quote. Local residents reported that Russian troops were starting to withdraw from Enerkhodar and, under the banner of declared martial law, were engaged in widespread looting of the city. The Skivsky Hotel was reportedly emptied of everything, including TVs, refrigerators, furniture, and even the in-room electric kettles. Russian attacks on Ukraine's energy infrastructure continued, with an industrial area and, quote, critical energy infrastructure in Kriviri hit by a missile. Several warehouses suffered major damage. A Russian missile strike targeted Komishuvacha and destroyed a lyceum. In case you're unaware, a lyceum is a kind of specialty secondary school that typically teaches athletics, arts, or music. The attack occurred in the morning, and it was unclear if students and faculty were at the school. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. The Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, Militia Public Relations Channel released a questionable video showing alleged multiple launch rocket system, or MLRS, strikes near the Donetsk International Airport. Not wanting to be outdone by the Russian MOD, the DNR wrote that they, quote, accurately hit the enemy's manpower, equipment, and fortifications, ensuring the advancement of assault groups, end quote. You'll need the Telegram app to see the video, which shows 12 rockets fired, but only four random strikes that don't appear to hit anything but the ground. Good job, guys. Um, but quick question. What happened to the other eight rockets? The DNR claimed their forces destroyed a Ukrainian radar station and four tanks without any evidence of any kind. Ukrainian forces carried out 143 fire missions on the occupied territory. 
Once again, there was only positional fighting due to the 1st Army Corps of the DNR remaining combat-destroyed and struggling with armaments and supplies. Our assessment yesterday that the attempted advance on Novokalinove was likely a small reconnaissance group was accurate. There were no additional reports of fighting in the area. Russian proxy forces with the DNR attempted to advance on Krasnohorivka without success. Quick assessment here. Russian troops have been attempting advances on Krasnohorivka since August 18th. The town is on a plateau and surrounded by water obstacles on three sides, making it highly defensible. Its location enables Ukrainian forces to maintain fire control over Avdivka and prevents a direct assault on the city. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces repeated their attempts to advance on Nevilske and Opitne. The understaffed ground forces lacking significant armor support were, perhaps unsurprisingly, unsuccessful. Positional fighting continued in Marinka and Novomikhailivka. Once again, the most significant documented fighting was in northeast Donetsk. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting on the outskirts of Terny and Torske, but used language that indicated that the intensity had declined. Russian social media accounts announced new success east of Solidar, with maps showing the new line of conflict. There was just one small problem. The new map announcing that two blocks of Solidar had been captured showed that Russian forces had actually lost ground. The area claimed as, quote, newly captured, was under Russian control over six weeks ago, and the new Russian-based map indicates the gypsum quarry and the Naufgyps sheetrock factory had become no-man's land. Fighting was reported in Bakhmutska and east of Bakhmut, with no changes. There was a renewed report of fighting for control of Klishivka. We adjusted the map to show that the Russian advance has moved to the T-513 highway. Let's move on to Luhansk. Russian forces attacked Ukrainian troops in Bilohorivka, but could not push them out of the town. Russian mill blogger Rybar reported that Ukraine launched a successful HIMARS strike on Popazna, but did not provide any additional information. A Russian convoy east of Sarakraznyanka came under fire by Ukrainian forces after attempting to hide from a drone in a forested area. It did not end well with at least two vehicles carrying ammunition destroyed. NASA firm's data showed a heat anomaly northwest of the city of Luhansk. In our assessment, this looks like a potential strike on a Russian ammunition depot. PMC Wagner's social media channel International Fan showed a map of the defensive line the private military company is building in Luhansk. The line follows most of the Minsk II border, indicating that the Russian MOD has a glum long-term assessment of its ability to maintain control of almost all the territorial gains made since February 23rd. The defensive line creates a salient south of Kremina and cuts through Lysychansk. Also noteworthy, no defensive fortifications are being built in the Donetsk part of the structure near Solidar and Bakhmut. Our assessment here it appears that the Russian MOD plans to use Mobix to defend these static defenses over the winter and fight an attritional battle to the defensive line. In our assessment, because Ukraine is doing nothing to prevent the defensive structures from being built, we believe they have a strategy for breaching the line. 
history has shown that static defenses in the age of maneuver warfare are ineffective. Quick note here, how many social media channels does Wagner Group have? You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to the Cherniv and Sumy region. An Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 drone struck the city of Cherniv, while air defenses shot down two KH-101 cruise missiles near Kipti in the Cherniv Oblast. There were no reports of major damage or injuries. Russian forces shelled the villages of Chai and Khinivka from across the international border. In the Kiev region, two barrages of missiles attacked the city, with the first wave successfully shot down. At least one missile hit northwest of the city, knocking out power and internet service to a large area. Kiev is implementing rolling blackouts to load-balance electrical service. In western and central Ukraine, the power plant in Vinitsia was attacked for the second time in a week, causing significant damage. The Burshtin thermal power plant in the Ivano-Frankivsk oblast was also attacked, causing a fire and impacting electrical service. Residents in the oblast were asked to reduce their energy consumption. On the Russian front, an electrical substation burst into flames in Bilgorod, knocking out power to parts of the city. There were no indications of an attack, and local officials reported that the fire was caused by the system overloading. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin declared martial law in the illegally annexed Ukrainian oblasts of Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson. Russian-occupied Crimea has been put into a medium-level response mode, as well as large areas of western Russia. Leaders of the federal districts of Bryansk, Voronezh, Kursk, and Rostov were given special economic powers, the ability to mobilize additional troops and territorial guards, and respond independently to emergencies. The martial law decree will give Putin additional powers to expand martial law to other regions. The decree enables the occupation government to forcibly relocate civilians, restrict travel within and entry and exit of the occupied territories, full control over print, computers, and communication networks, and their confiscation for defense needs. Order number 756 was immediately implemented and has no expiration date. Russian troops wasted no time with the power to confiscate electronics, there were reports of widespread looting by Russian forces in occupied Luhansk and Zaporizhia using martial law as justification. Ukrainian officials reported that Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 drones were launched from Belarus and targeted Kyiv. Israel denied Ukraine's request for air defense weapons, stating that the nation would never provide equipment to Ukraine. At least six cruise missiles were also launched from Belarusian airspace, and as previously reported, four were shot down and two reached their intended targets. In another blow to Ukrainian defense efforts, Poland announced it had ended talks with Germany for a circular trade program for main battle tanks. Poland was trying to work out a deal to receive German tanks 
in exchange for T-72 tanks currently in the Polish military to send to Ukraine. Talks ended with the Deputy Minister of Defense of Poland reporting that the number of tanks involved was too small and the deal would take too long. The ascension of Sweden and Finland into NATO remains stalled out. Only two NATO nations have not ratified members, Turkey and Hungary. It was previously expected that membership would be ratified by November, but neither nation appears to have plans to put approval to a vote in the coming month. Speaking of changing expectations, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Two days after the Moscow Federal District suspended mobilization, other regions in Russia reported that it was business as usual, with more Mobix being sent to alleged training camps to await deployment. PMC Wagner telegram channel Greyzone went into full doomer mode on the status of the war and its likely outcome, saying, quote, It must be repeated once again. This is a structural and strategic problem. You cannot win a war in the 21st century with an army of the mid-20th. You cannot win a war whose goals you cannot formulate. You cannot win a war that was started because of miscalculations in all the other areas. You cannot mobilize civilians if you abandoned the mobilization system a long time ago and the material and technical base was plundered. Many boring things are impossible, and General Sadovyakin will not help this, no matter how much you motivate him with patriotic slogans. End quote. Our assessment here? We had previously assessed in June that Russia did not have the capabilities, systems, or equipment for the mass mobilization of its population, and that if any mobilization occurred after the end of June, it would be too late to alter the trajectory of the war. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Water and electrical service will be disabled for the entire Sumi Oblast on October 20th to make emergency repairs and stabilize both systems after repeated attacks by Russian missiles and drones. City officials in Kyiv announced there would be rolling blackouts of up to four hours twice a day for residents due to damage to the electrical grid. Later, it was announced that rolling blackouts would be implemented nationwide. Because of the interconnection between systems, the rolling outages will likely impact parts of Russia's illegally occupied territories and border communities. President Zelensky told Ukrainian citizens that they should prepare for a total loss of power and that Ukraine was working on contingency plans to decentralize electrical service to support critical infrastructure and heat. Zelensky wrote on Facebook that, quote, the necessary steps to eliminate the consequences in the event of a breakdown of the energy system of Ukraine, end quote, are being taken. He continued that the government was, quote, working to create mobile power points for the critical infrastructure of cities, towns, and villages, and preparing for various scenarios of possible consequences. End quote. Russian lawmakers Andrei Gurulyov and Konstantin Dalgov appeared on Russian state media and advocated freezing the Ukrainian population to death over winter by destroying the nation's infrastructure. State media talking head Olga Skabeyeva agreed with their assessment, 
concluding that because the so-called special military operation is in a state of failure, quote, Russia simply has no other choice, end quote. In geopolitical news, Russia appeared to threaten that it could exit the United Nations and laid out a litany of complaints. Russian first permanent representative of the Russian Federation Dmitry Polyansky's list of grievances included accusations from Western nations that Russia was buying drones from Iran and that the UN had no authority to investigate those accusations. Polyansky stated that Russia would, quote, reassess its relationship with the UN if investigators were sent to Ukraine to determine the origin of the Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones that certainly aren't coming from Iran. Bolyansky also said that if the UN keeps this up, they will not be invited to his birthday party. Just kidding. He did not actually say that last part. Although, to be fair, I would be surprised if he did invite the UN at this point. The United States Justice Department announced it had busted a criminal network providing restricted technologies to Russia. Some of the equipment was recovered on the battlefields of Ukraine, while Latvia intercepted nuclear proliferation technology before it crossed the Russian border. The Justice Department charged nearly a dozen people in separate cases in New York and Connecticut, including Russian nationals accused of purchasing sensitive military technologies from U.S. companies and laundering tens of millions of dollars for wealthy Russian business people. The Latvian individuals were accused of conspiring to smuggle equipment to Russia, and oil brokers for Venezuela were accused of working on illicit deals for a Venezuelan state-owned oil company. Five defendants charged in New York federal court are Russian nationals, with two in custody. Four defendants charged in Connecticut federal court, three Latvians and one Ukrainian, were arrested months ago. Two more Venezuelan oil brokers have warrants out for their arrest. There are growing signs that British Prime Minister Liz Truss's coalition government is already falling apart. On Wednesday, Home Secretary Suella Braverman resigned after being caught sending an official document from her personal email account. She used her resignation letter to lambast Truss, saying she had, quote, concerns about the direction of this government, end quote. Truss launched an economic plan that completely blew apart in less than a month and now faces calls for her resignation. She remains defiant and, by British parliamentary rules, is technically safe for a year. Conservatives that led Brexit now fear political oblivion in the upcoming 2024 elections, but are divided on how to jettison Truss. To shouts of, resign, in the House of Commons, Truss declared, quote, I am a fighter and not a quitter. End quote. Hold up, there's a note from David. Oh, okay, well, that did not age well. Truss has announced her resignation. Kyrgyzstan has called for the implementation of Article 4 in the CSTO agreement and wants peacekeepers to patrol the border of Tajikistan. This is the second Article 4 request of the CSTO pact in less than two months with Russia unwilling or unable to honor Armenia's earlier request for peacekeepers. That request for peacekeepers from Moscow was made because the ceasefire between the two former Soviet bloc nations was on the brink of falling apart. Border fighting in September killed at least a 100 people in what is described as a three-day war. 
Fun fact: only one CSTO member is not directly involved in armed conflict, and Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan make up a third of the Russian Federation-created alliance. All is going to plan. In economic news, President Putin signed a decree ending Ros Tourism. That's the state tourism bureau. The agency was closed due to budget cuts in the Russian government and the lack of tourism caused by sanctions and mobilization fears. The ruble improved to an exchange rate of 61 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices climbed, with WTI crude rising to 87 dollars a barrel and Brent moving to 93 dollars. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market jumped to two dollars and sixty-seven cents a gallon, or seventy-one cents a liter. European Union natural gas futures dropped almost ten percent as concerns over winter supply levels are disappearing. EU Dutch TTF natural gas futures climbed to a hundred and fifteen euros per megawatt hour for November two thousand twenty-two contracts. Chicago SRW wheat futures dropped to eight dollars and forty-five cents per bushel for December two thousand twenty-two delivery, and that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.